0: This book, uh, Leviticus, of course, the very name of it says Levites in it. You anything like this is instruction for the Levites, right? And we don't have Levites anymore. Uh, so you can say, first of all, that it's for an old group of people that aren't here anymore. Not only that, but it wasn't for the common people anyway. It was for those Levites who kind of conducted services for them. And so it's kind of two steps removed for most people, we would say. And then Jesus comes along, and he fulfills all that's that sacrifice stuff. So now we can just kind of chunk Leviticus, right? Let's just take it out of our Bibles and chunk it. Everybody want to try it? Just take it. Just rip it real good. Anybody going to do that? I would hope not because you don't want to do that. Because what we know is all scripture is what? God breathed and is useful for all those things that that train us up in righteousness. Okay, so there's some value to this. And that's what we're doing in this series on the Second Sunday Share here is look at two or three things that are really, really helpful for us, even from those Old Testament books. Uh, I want to say that it becomes like this great picture dictionary. Leviticus is a great dictionary, a glossary of terms that God provided for us. And if we don't get it out of Leviticus, we won't get it in the New Testament either. By the time you get to the New Testament, it assumes you know this. Some of the best definitions and emphases of God are provided in Leviticus, and he assumes that past this point, you'll take this with you, and the rest of the Bible makes sense because of the words he defines in Leviticus. That's how important it is. You pick it up, and you go to Luke, and you read some of these words, and you're like, what does that really mean? Well, if you don't have Leviticus, you can't understand Luke. That's how significant this book is. So here's term number one, holiness. I appreciated the first song tonight. I don't know... If Cameron's brilliant and picked that out himself because he knew Leviticus was being talked about, I prefer to look at it that way, or it might have been a stroke of luck. But whatever it was, holy, holy, holy. Uh, and with the world that we live in, there's nothing holy. Have you noticed that? There is nothing holy in our world. So what does holiness mean? Well, this is, what, this is the first of three memory verses I would give you. Uh, and here it is in Lyticus 11:45. I want us to all say this together. You ready? For I am the Lord who brought you up out of a land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. God wanted one word as his. You know, he decided, I don't want images. So the selfie I'm going to take is a word selfie. Now, when somebody takes a selfie of themselves, obviously that's a redundant thing, a selfie of yourself. You can't take a selfie of somebody else because if you take it, it's no longer a selfie, right? Is that right? Y'all don't know, right? Okay, selfie is like I take my camera and I turn it back around and I take a picture of myself and I post it. If I post my own selfie, won't you assume that I approve this selfie, right? I'm not going to approve of one um, uh, that I don't like and put it on there. So God says, I don't want to leave you with images, I want only word pictures. That's what he says in Deuteronomy. And when God decides, I'm going to define myself with one word, don't you think we should pay attention? Kind of lean in and say, this is the word he chooses to encapsulate who he is. And here's the word, holy. He doesn't choose love. That's what we choose. God chooses holy. That's what I'm like, and that's, God says, what I expect my people to be like. I expect you to take your cue from me. And holy is my preferred word. So if you had only one word to describe God, what should you use, church? Holy, right? And that's what we're supposed to be. And that comes out of Le- Leviticus. You look, in the, you look on BibleGateway.com and you look up the word holy, it appears 80 times on Liticus, Leviticus and just kind of spattering in other places. It is like the book to define holiness. Everything that's related to God is holy. You've got holy places. You've got holy people. You've got holy vessels. You've got holy tents. You've got all sorts of stuff, right? Anything in relation to God is holy. Um, And so this is like the word I would use would be like unique and set apart. And this is the definition. Now, just how serious is he about us not only... Observing his holiness, but imitating it. How serious is he? Well, we're all going to think, if you think very long, you're going to think, well, there's this one story in the Old Testament that illustrates this. That's true. And it's in Leviticus. And we turn there, Leviticus chapter 10. You know this story, but I really want you to hear what God says. Aaron's sons, God had a special fire. You know, He went through all these details. Melissa and I are reading through Leviticus and we are to die. I'm just, every night we're like, oh, give me the Reader's Digest version of this, right? It's just meticulous detail. Where do you get the fire? What kind of fire? The incense had to smell a certain way and they couldn't use that incense for anything else. This is just my, this is God's perfume. Uh, cologne, whatever. It's God's cologne. I don't want anybody else wearing it, right? I mean, it's just meticulous. So God said, I want you to get the fire from here. I want it to smell like this. Well, Nadab and Abayu took their censers, it's where you lift up the fire, uh, the, the coals in the fire and put on something else, put fire in them and added incense. And they offered, what's the word? Unauthorized fire. They got a different kind of fire than the fire that God provided, and God told them meticulously what he wanted. They decided, oh, well, we'll just get our own. Now, they were drunk, most likely. That's the way the chapter goes on. But it doesn't really matter whether they were drunk or not. The point is, they got fire from somewhere else. Contrary to his command. How serious is God about it? Well, so fire came up from out of the presence of the Lord. You don't light my fire? I'm going to light you up with my fire, God says. And boom, they were dead. Now, if this ever happens in worship, you're going to pay attention, aren't you? Did somebody accidentally take the fruit of the vine before the bread? <laughs> Wouldn't you would never do that again, would you? Well, consume them. They died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of. Next screen. Here's what he says. Here's why I'm so angry about this. Among those who approach me, I will be shown to be holy. You will honor my holiness as I define myself. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. You will show me as holy, and if you don't, you're going to pay for it. Listen, how serious is God about our holiness? Very serious. Nadab and Abihu knew it. Uh, And Leviticus shows us how serious he is about this. Now what about us in the New Testament real quick, right? Therefore, Peter says, in 1 Peter chapter 1, preparing your minds for action, that's an image back to getting the 10th the plague, preparing yourself to run out of Egypt, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't you live like people of the world. But as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all your conduct, because it's written, you will be holy, for I am holy. Is this verse in Leviticus still in effect today? Be careful about saying he nailed the Old Testament to the cross. Be very careful about saying that. It is not true. There's a lot of that Old Testament still in effect. And this is one of them. What God was after in the Old Testament, He's still after in the New Testament, people who respect His holiness and imitate it. Now the best def- well, we'll get to that in a minute, but here's another one from First Peter chapter two, next screen. But you're a chosen re- a race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. This is who we are. We're to be holy. You only understand what he means by transporting Leviticus's emphasis into your New Testament identity. It's a download. second word that you would use from Leviticus is the word sacrifice. Seven chapters of meticulous detail about what the priest does. The the, the worshiper. The worshiper is to raise his own, or he may buy some, We find out later. But ideally, he raises his own lambs. Rams, whichever sacrifice you're, you, you, you invest in it, you take care of it, you raise it, you take it, you, you examine it. Is it is it male? Is it a certain age? Is it perfectly without blemish? And then you take that, that animal and you take it to the priest. And the priest, you put your hands on it because it's gonna take on your sin. And you hand it to the priest and the priest does what he does with the blood. But you've gotta bring something that costs you something. That's what sacrifice is. I am expressing my thanks and my devotion to God by giving him something I prize that sacrifice a very personal involvement a very costly thing that's why David said and we read about this 2 Samuel 24 I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing now for those of you in that 2 Samuel 24 study here's the thing that's interesting do you remember when Saul went against the Amalekites and he brought back all their animals And he was going to offer them to God as a sacrifice. What's wrong with Saul's sacrifice? The animals already belong to God. If they already belong to God, they cannot be your sacrifice. He was going to offer to God that which cost him nothing. It was going to look impressive, but it cost Saul nothing. And David says, I won't dare do that. It's going to cost me something. Sacrifice costs you something. What are the sacrifices we offer? And here's from Hebrews chapter 13. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. When you sing, you're offering up a sacrifice from your lips. You're taking words, and you're taking your energy, and you are using that to give praise to God that he enjoys that he's asked for that costs you something go on do not neglect to do whoops back up do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God when you share what you have with other people that's offering a sacrifice to God the greatest sacrifice of course Romans chapter 12 is this Appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living, a living sacrifice. Now, you only know what this really means when you compare it to Leviticus. What was a sacrifice in Leviticus? An animal of yours that is killed for your sake. What is a sacrifice for us in the New Covenant? Your entire life that's not killed, but lived out for God. It's an opposite. It's a living sacrifice, but it costs you something if your faith costs you nothing that's how much it's worth if your faith costs you nothing that's how much it's worth word number three atonement if you look at leviticus 16 it is the great day of atonement yom kippur and the uh in today's language it is uh atonement it's the idea that uh something has to pay for your sins In chapter 16, the high priest takes a bull, in verse 6, and he slaughters that bull and he takes that blood and he applies it to all sorts of things because that blood is what cleanses him. He has to offer it for himself because he's got sins. The high priest has sins himself. He has to be cleansed first. And he took a goat to offer as a sacrifice for the sins of the people, verse 15. So he takes one for his own sin, he takes one for the sins of the people, and, uh, and it's not only for the people, but for the high place itself, the tent of meeting and the altar. And they took a live goat, and he confessed the sins of the people, and he drove it into the wilderness. Called the, anybody know what this is called? Scapegoat, right? But nearly for, for nearly all of this, it takes blood for this. Now, here's memory verse number two. I want us to say it together. You Ready? For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Now it says, I've given you animal blood. I've let it count as atonement for your life. I'm letting the blood of that animal substitute for the blood of you for the sins you've committed. Now, That's an amazing thing, the life of the creatures in the blood. We've learned that about humanity, too. That's why we give blood, right? Because that's the way life comes. But here's the thing. What do we learn from Hebrews? Anybody remember? Did this blood actually cleanse sin? Did the blood of bulls and goats actually cleanse the sin of Old Testament people? No, it didn't. How could it? It's just an animal. But it stood, God allowed it, on a credit system. He allowed it to count until the real actual effective blood was offered, and that was the blood of Jesus, right? That's what makes him superior. He doesn't have to clean his own sins first. He goes right into the holy place. We see that in Hebrews 9 and Hebrews chapter 10. And here's the verse in the New Testament for this, I think. My dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. The atoning sacrifice, the real one for everyone who's ever lived. From the first sin of Adam and Eve to the very last sin of the last person before Jesus comes. Jesus' blood atones for it all. Which is why we gather around the Lord's table. I am glad to be a New Testament worshiper. I don't know about you. I'm pretty sure you feel the same way. This place would stink. This place would have the worst sounds if we had to keep bringing animals in here and slaughtering them and that blood slung everywhere in order to pay for our sin. I just, I can't imagine enjoying that kind of worship at all. Because of Jesus, we don't have to do that way. Now there's two things about Leviticus that I'm going to throw thrown in for free other than these three things. Here's one of them. Memory verse number three that a lot of people don't even think is from Leviticus. Say it with me. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. People don't think that's in the Old Testament, but it is right there in Leviticus, and Jesus quotes that in the New. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm uh, doing studies with these other preachers on zoom and other places and we're trying to tackle i don't mean to make this a hobby and i try very hard never to make a hobby in a sermon or a series of sermons but homosexuality we're trying to grapple with this from scripture alone lots of people trying to find ways to justify this leviticus comes into this discussion and you need to hear this for a second but i in the and going through this there's a part of this that i find interesting look at chapter 17 if you would Uh, 17 through 19 is this section that is different because you learn that there were sojourners among the Israelites. As they're going through the wilderness, we think that's just all the Jews. They're just Jews. No, there are other people. Anybody have any idea where these other people would have come from? Why would you have non-Israelites traveling through the wilderness with the Israelites? Well, some of the Egyptians hitched a ride. Some of the Egyptians decided, I'm out of here, I'm coming with you guys. They're Egyptian, they're not, and they become part of the murmurers, by the way. They become, that's kind of what they're, but they've got some sojourners among them. And an issue came up as they were traveling through, do the same rules that apply to the Israelites apply to a sojourner who doesn't even claim to be an Israelite? And the answer to that is no, they weren't forced to be, uh, they weren't forced to follow every commandment, they weren't forced to be circumcised. But there were some things that God was going to ask even the sojourner to do as they're traveling through the wilderness with the Israelites. Chapter 17, verses 10 through 12. If anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among the people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, as we've just read, right? So, One thing that even a sojourner can't do is they can't eat blood. Um, Sounds gross to me, but some of you eat really raw stuff, and it's exactly what you're doing, right? Look at verse 13. And anyone also of the people of Israel or the strangers who sojourn among them who takes in hunting any beast or birds that have been eaten shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. You do not eat the animal without draining the blood from it. No strangled animals, no, none of the blood in it. For the life of every creature is in its blood, and the blood is its life. So don't eat any of that. Chapter 18. No one in Israel or uh, the sojourners were to act uh, to engage in sexual immorality, or they'll be cut off and killed. This is all the way through chapter 18. Now, what are unlawful sexu- sexual relations? What are the particulars of this? Well, there's a pretty good description. I'm not going to read them all, okay? I'm just going to suffice it to say, anybody who's any way related to you, that's called incest, you can't do that. That's, that's the Israelite and the non-Israelite, the sojourner among you. This is just, you don't do this, that's a no-no. Um, sex with an animal, someone of the same gender. In the Old Testament, don't, don't think they didn't know what that was. We have this idea, well, they didn't know anything about this stuff. Oh, listen, we have been sinful a long time. From probably day, probably the 30-minute mark, probably, right? Of being outside the garden and eating the fruit. Probably the 30-minute mark we were already thinking of this stuff. 28 minutes, maybe, I'm thinking. But we, we are creative. Human beings are creative. And so that homosexuality is in chapter 18. Uh, you see all sorts of, but, but these are all perversions, he says. And I, I, this is what the people of the land did that caused me to want you to go in and drive them out because the land couldn't take it. Listen, when you live that way, it is so unnatural that nature itself wants to puke you out of the land. That's how he describes it. And I'm telling you, as you travel through the wilderness, you are not to engage in this. The sojourner is not to engage. The stranger traveling with you is not to do this. And then there's one more in chapter 19. They're still to honor the Sabbath. Even the sojourner had to honor the Sabbath and not engage in idolatry. All right. Will you look at that list for a second and tell me where you've seen this before? Anybody seen this list before? Four things that even non-Israelites living among Israelites are to honor. Anybody seen this list before? Acts chapter 15. I've always wondered, why those four things? Why did they pick those four? You remember they were getting together trying to decide how are we going to keep the Jews and the Gentiles together? You remember this? It's going to destroy the church. We can't get along. We can't force them to be circumcised. But James stands up and says, I think it's a good idea to at least write letters and tell them to avoid these four things. Did he just pick them out of the air? I don't think so. I think he found a place in the Old Testament where it's already been established if Jews and Gentiles are going to live together, they need to honor these things right here. I don't think he picked them out of the air. I think he picked them out of Scripture, from a place that's very relevant to the question at hand, Acts chapter 15. Now, that leads to another observation. When you read... the Greek word for sexual immorality in Acts chapter 15, Jesus says it a few times as well. People have a funny way of knowing what does Jesus mean when he says that word. What does James mean in Acts 15 when he says that word? What James means is everything in Leviticus 18. You want to know what sexual, the, the reason is because the, the one thing that I've always wondered is, well, that's already part of our, that's already part of our faith. Why would he need to reiterate that in Acts 15? Because there's so many things in that definition that the Gentiles wouldn't know. What do you mean by sexual immorality? That's a general word. Does that mean just adultery? No, it does take in adultery. But look at Leviticus 18, all these things. So here's the thing that I hear. Okay, this is one big argument. Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Is that true? He didn't say the word, but he said sexual immorality several times. And what do you think he meant when he said avoid sexual morality. He meant everything in Leviticus 18. It's where their definition's from. When I'm saying to you we've got to know Leviticus and we've got to know that Old Testament in order to understand the New Testament, I'm serious. When Jesus said, Anybody who does sexual immorality, that comes from the heart. That, that's a sin. He's including homosexuality. He's including incest. He's including bestiality. He never says bestiality in the New Testament. He doesn't have to. He says porneia, sexual immorality. And it comes from Leviticus 18. Now, when Paul picks up the word, this is just a little more strangeness for you, but listen, if you ever get into this conversation, you have to know this technical goop right when Paul coins that's what everybody says he created the word the two words for homosexuality in Romans 1. Everybody's like where do those two words come from and when you look at the Greek version of the Old Testament he put together two partial words from Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20 and he created a word And he put it in the New Testament, and it means men sleeping with men. Either partner, active or passive partner. Did Paul know about homosexuality in the first century? You better believe he knew about it. And he slammed the door on every single bit of it. And so did Jesus. He didn't particular the word, but he said sexual immorality. And we look at Leviticus, and we get our words from it. And it flushes out what Jesus meant. There is use for Leviticus. You need to know it. The reason it's of value is because the words it describes is God's ideal definition of things like sacrifice, immorality, atonement, and holiness. And he calls for all those things still today, and he carries it over from Leviticus, and he wants New Testament believers to honor it too. Leviticus is a great book. It's an important book that's come back into some modern use because of this argument that's going around these days. Saved by the Word of God, right? We understand what it means by looking back there at Leviticus. Leviticus. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you thankful for your word, thankful for what you've said, thankful for what you revealed, that we don't have to, we don't have to grapple our way through without some light and without some uh, understanding. We're thankful for the old covenant, the things that you said, the things that you shared, the way you revealed yourself through it. And Father, we, we, we take those understandings and we, we find even richer portrayal of them through your Son, who was God in the flesh, the image of the invisible God. But Father, we are so grateful for all of Revelation. And I pray, Father, that we will value it and that we will honor you and how we approach every single bit of it. Help us to love your word, help us to study your word, and help us to enrich our own walk with you by knowing every single bit of it. Thank you in particular for Leviticus. And thank you for being a holy God. And thank you for giving us a way to sacrifice in a way that we know pleases you because it also delights us. And thank you for atonement, the blood that was shed that provided our own way to have a right standing with you. We pray this tonight in Jesus' name, amen.